Welcome to the Making Money in the Music Business podcast, where we share insightful views on a variety of topics in the music industry that can help you make more money from your music business. And now, here are your hosts, Dr. William E. Smith and Kenya McGuire-Johnson. Hey, Kenya, we are back. Welcome back, Dr. William Smith. How are you? This I'm better day. this week. <laughs> I'm better this You're week. You're better. <laughs> That's right. Last week you were just, what word did you say? You're just making it? Or... Maintain it. <laughs> You sounded kind of, you sounded a little pitiful, but that's all right. We're all allowed to have, <laughs> we're allowed to have those days, but yes. Yep. Yeah, so today is kind of special. I don't even think our guest knows how special today is, but yeah, we didn't tell them. I forgot to tell them today. <laughs> yeah. This is our I that too. official anniversary. It is our official, official one year anniversary oh, of well, this wow. i know it's so special yeah this, yeah, this, this is awesome is some good stuff this is really great so i think it's you know we're going to dig into the guest in in just a moment but i i actually think the timing of it is pretty good because um i have a feeling what we're going to discuss today and what this person um brings to the to the table is kind of the heart of why the business of, <laughs> of making money in the music business. So it, it all kind of worked itself out yep. divinely, magically. Yep. Um, but first I know you will um, have something special for us. You always give us a little bit of wisdom, a um, lot of bit of wisdom. It, it's, it's, uh, it's, I don't know how special, but it's, it's good. It's good, <laughs> good information. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, some tips are, are really, really useful. Uh, and this one, uh, it, this one is um, if, if you're really trying to, uh, earn a living from your, your music. Um, we talked about licensing and, and we talked about how, uh, getting your projects and, and music placed in different areas. Uh, but I just have a short tip about how to find some of those opportunities. And one, uh, one key way, uh, which was given to me by a music supervisor was to look on LinkedIn, um, search LinkedIn for music licensing opportunities and also hook up with music supervisors um, on LinkedIn. And a lot of these music supervisors, some of them actually work freelance. So they're hunting for your music and you have to make your music mm-hmm. as available as possible. So, um, and a lot of them are on LinkedIn for professional purposes. So uh, that's one way to look for them. Awesome. So that means that artists, we have yet another, <laughs> another kind of social media platform that we really need to, because I don't know how much um, working artists, when I talk to other musicians, you know, everyone's like, yeah, I have a LinkedIn account, but I don't really, you know, I don't really use it. Cause I think we're so used to trying to promote our music for fans and mm-hmm. to get, you know, followers in that way. And, you know, LinkedIn is definitely a different type of, um, following that you're trying to get you're trying to engage more professionally from right, colleague right. to colleague as opposed to fan to and artist it's, yeah, although it's you can still do that per yeah. se right yeah yeah so no i think that's good and i know you know my linkedin account is pretty it gives you the percentage of how complete your profile is in mm-hmm. terms of you know inter- your chances i guess of having better interactions and mine keeps saying, I think it said last time I looked, I was like 87% complete. Okay. So I guess I got some more <laughs> than I'm supposed to do. 
But no, I think that's a that's a good tip. So particularly, you know, I'm hearing more and more people wanting to get their music on. I know right now um, the the show Insecure with Issa Rae, she's actually looking for, she's having a contest for okay. musicians to get their music on. But yeah, but these are, that's what you're, you know, people are kind of hungry to get music on these different. Yeah, instead of, of, instead of you Netflix hunting, instead films. of them, um, uh, instead of you trying to, to hunt around and search for, for things, if you have your profile uh, up and complete right. and, and enough links and things on your profile and you, you know, you, of course your hunting is basically making connections, but uh, you know, that once you've made those connections, now they know that you're there and they can hunt for you. Right. And you can see like how many times people have searched for you and right, right. you right. can even pay a little bit more and find out who those people exactly were and all that. So yep. good, tip. good tip. Thank you. Well, today we have a great friend of mine who uh, he's also my fraternity brother. I'll put that out there. But besides that, He's a really great friend um, and, and one of those true friends, you know what I mean? That uh, when when you call, they're there. That's and that that really is the, mm-hmm. the hallmark of, of a true friend. Um, and mm-hmm. that's uh, that's what that's my intro. <laughs> but uh, um, <laughs> but he's going to tell you a lot of the stuff that he's done. And he's an, an amazing uh, person in the industry. Um, he's done amazing things. Uh, historical things and and he's pretty much um, front and center for artists um, helping artists in the industry so um, and he's a great dad and he's all these other things <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we we can talk about all that stuff but um, but I without f- further ado I'm going to introduce to you James L. Walker Jr. Esquire, the entertainment attorney <laughs> to the stars. Let me stop. <laughs> <laughs> attorney to the stars. Welcome, welcome. Uh, thank you guys so much for having me. Um, and uh, the feelings are mutual towards William. Because everything he's about is what we're supposed to represent. Consciousness, helping our people, giving back, um, trying to find a way for our people to economically sustain themselves. And I just love anytime I get a chance to work with I call him Professor Smith or Dr. Smith. Yeah, man. So awesome. uh, what we usually do uh, with our, our guests is um, have them pretty much talk about what it is that uh, they do. And, and also, um, and we can probably, you can probably just insert in there how you got started in, in as being an entertainment attorney. Sure. Without uh, boring your listeners or your co-hosts, I was a student at Howard and started uh, promoting concerts and plays and step shows just to help pay for school. Um, I hope I can hear clearly. Oh, yeah. Um, I um, ran out of money in college, single mom. Mom had me at 18 and didn't want to call home to bother her. So I started giving little parties just to make a little ends meet and got to the point where we were turning, you know, $50,000, $60,000 a weekend. And they said, hey, let's move into concerts and plays. So we moved into concerts and plays and step shows. And I met a young lady at the time named Phyllis Hyman. And Phyllis mm-hmm. pulled me aside and said, did you, do you, what are you going to do after college? I was paying her to perform two shows for me. And after we paid her, she sat with me at a bar. And I was having soda. She was having a glass of wine. And she said, um, you um, should consider being an entertainment lawyer. I thought about civil rights law, and she said, no, we need African-Americans to consider 
being entertainment lawyers. And I said, well, what's that? That sounds weird. You know, you hear entertainment lawyer, like, am I dancing? Am I performing as a lawyer? And she <laughs> sat me down and she explained, no, um, you do all our contracts. You review our contracts, you handle all our personal business. It was the first time anyone had ever said that to me. I was 26 years old. I graduated from Howard, mm-hmm. took a couple of years off, continued to promote shows and concerts and plays and step shows and all that stuff. Worked with David Talbert, uh, worked with Tyler Perry's camp very early on, worked with Quentin uh, Perry out in Detroit, another big promoter. Worked with a lot of playwrights, Crystal Perry, Mama mm-hmm. I Wanna Sing, had a long run with Mama I Wanna yeah. Sing. Great play, it, all great just evolved. it all evolved into me going to law school and first day at Howard, I met a guy named Spencer Boyer who had taught many of the entertainment giants in the game. And mm-hmm. uh, he took me under his wing. And just from day one, it was like it was already pegged. You're going to be the entertainment lawyer coming out of our, our 95 class at Howard. And wow. uh, the last 20 years, we've represented everybody from, you know, your Rick Jameses to your DMXs to your Shirley Caesars. I mean, we go across the whole gamut. And we have clients on broadcasts, CNN, ESPN, clients on radio, of course. Clients in print, clients doing books. We've worked with all the civil rights families. I'm very proud of that. We worked mm. with the family, of course, the Dr. King family. We just did the Coretta Scott King autobiography. And now we represent the estate wow. of Dick, Dick Gregory. And we're doing all oh, these wow. things for wow. Dick Gregory's family and, wow. and the plays and movies and all the stuff connected to the legacy of our dear fraternal brother, most of all, and our dear iconic mm-hmm. legendary civil rights leader and comedian. Mr. Dick Gregory. So we've had a great run. Um, The latest buzz in the press is we administer and co-own the Family Feud song with Jay-Z. So we've gotten a lot of press about that. He used one of our publishing catalogs, which segues into how we make money. He used one of our songs in our publishing catalog by Tweaky Clark for the Family Feud song. Hmm. And I think we've sold probably three or four million copies of that now. And there's a video out. And it's just been a windfall for our clients who are affiliated with that song, Twinkie Clark, mm-hmm. or the Clark sisters. Yes, no. yep. yeah. Yeah. Right. So, right. And that's a funny story, yeah. Will. Um, I got a call and someone said, hey man, have you heard the new Jay-Z album? And I have to admit, I'm known Jay-Z, but I'm not a Jay-Z guy. I see him at the award shows, mm-hmm. I see him around. I'm, I wouldn't be one to say I know all his records or even his books and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I kept hearing the song and somebody said, you need to play it. I play it and I immediately say, oh my God, that's the Clark sisters song. Eternal Life Haya on the hook. So I reach out to his camp. Mm-hmm. There was some confusion. They thought somebody else owned the rights. We go back and forth, and we end up putting out a press release that we'll co-own the song jointly 50-50. And it's wow. just a, a wonderful, yeah. wonderful Christmas holiday when you find out you co-own a song with Jay-Z. Right, right. <laughs> no, I told my kids I was going places, Will. I told my son. <laughs> I was going to say, you sound really cool about all that. Yeah. So we're doing that. Um, yeah. And we, we, we just have a, a, we're just really blessed. And we're always about empowering the artists, understanding sound exchange, understanding BMI and ASCAP, understanding what Will alluded to, the supervisory music that's on films that you can get a part of that understanding your ringtones, just all this kind of stuff, trying to make sure you get it. <laughs> Funny enough, Jay-Z was this Christmas. Last Christmas, it was Shirley Caesar, you named it. For Christmas oh, that's right, so, yeah. So that was ours too. Shirley, Dr. Caesar was out on a cruise and we got a call that 
a rapper here in Atlanta had taken her famous, you know, Beans, Greens, Potatoes song and right, whipped right. it into a, a remix and wow. we probably had 20 million views during the course of Thanksgiving 2017. Oh so we rolled out a shirt line, a hat line, mugs, aprons. <laughs> right. I mean, we, we went all in for about 40 days there. I was co-managing her for a minute there just to help okay. her out because we had mm. seen nothing like it in the gospel music industry. She was right, right. Rapper, right. I think it was 50 Cent or somebody tweeted, Shirley Caesar is the hottest rapper in the game right now. Wow, yeah, that's <laughs> true. Christmas holiday for those 30 days. Right. From so that was 2017 or 16 going, I think, into 17. Then Jay-Z was 17 going into 18. So I'm dying to see what this Christmas mm. is going to be. Yeah, I know, right? I know, <laughs> It seems like every fall something like that happens and we're right in the middle of it. That's awesome. Yeah, see, um, you, you're you're giving some some great uh, some great insights and great stories. Number one, but um, I, I I don't want uh, people to miss one of the major highlights in terms of uh, sort of historical part of 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 black music artists um, that you've done. Uh, t- talk about the uh, the case you won against Sony. Yes, we sued Sony back in '05 for tampering with our clients. Um, and obviously under settlement provisions, we can't share all the details, right. but I can share the public. We basically had a situation where for years, record labels would tell black artists not to use black attorneys and to go with one of their buddies, you know, <laughs> the Jewish executive telling a Jewish, uh, to telling a black artist, you got to use one of my Jewish buddies. And no yeah. offense meant mm-hmm. to Jewish clients. I love and do business with many of them, but it was kind of like a code in the record labels of trying to send black artists to white attorneys. And we mm-hmm. got wind of it when, we started securing what we call full copyright payment on these wild gospel albums. They're the mm-hmm. most popular of records in the gospel industry. Right. They go platinum or gold right. every year. And the record labels typically don't want to pay the copyright uh, writers, the songwriters, full stat. And by full stat, we mean basically mm-hmm. nine cents for every CD that mm-hmm. sells. So if you got a million copies mm-hmm. sold and Will Smith wrote the song, Jesus Loves Me, that Kirk Franklin is singing, Will Smith would be due $91,000 for that platinum album. And what record labels were doing Mm -hmm. is saying, hey, Will, we'd rather give you three quarters or 66,000 versus 91. Mm -hmm. So we stepped in and we got about 15 writers paid their full stat. And one by one, as the albums would come up again and again every year, the artists and songwriters were afraid to return our offers. And we started mm. seeing, like, wait a minute, this guy used this no more? We just made him $91,000? And mm. then other license fees for a video and sheet music and everything else? So you made over hundred grand and you're not coming back? That makes no sense. So right, got right. one guy, right. a guy named David Frazier, uh, told the LA Times about his meeting with Sony representatives at Verity Records, a division of Sony. And he basically said, hey, I went in for this meeting and they pulled me in a private room and told me to fire my lawyer. And once we mm. got that story from David, we investigated with other artists, songwriters, producers, and pretty much a whole group of them had been told that. And then we subpoenaed the emails, and the same thing we saw in many of the emails that we we were being mm. they, they were being instructed not to use us. And it was a broader issue than me. I mean, as I said at the right, time, exactly. New York newspapers who covered it, um, that case to me was a victory for anyone in any type of African-American business who's been told you're second rate 
or been told you can't do the job. Mm -hmm. Public manager, disc jockey, TV show host, lawyer, uh, Colin, you name it. We've all been told, hey, don't go with them. Go with this uh, over here. The ice is colder. The the legal services are better. Mm -hmm. And the clients are put in that tough position of, do I stay with my guy, James Walker, who's been fighting for me for 10 years, or do I go across the street and hire a big corporate white law firm and drop my guy? And many of them were trying to do that. Mm-hmm. So we sued Sony and we settled about eight years later after almost 40 depositions. Mm-hmm. So. Mm. And, and weren't you the, the first wow. and weren't you the first to uh, win a case against Sony? I believe so. I'm yeah. told that I've been told that okay. in several courts that I was the first, definitely the first to stand up and fight like that. Right. right. Mm. In the first law firm to take on obviously a billion dollar company. But I'm I'm proud to yeah. say that now we have Leandra Johnson over there. We have the Walls Group over there. I think we have three other artists over there. We do a lot of business with them now. They have a new regime in the building. Good, and good, good. Operate now, and we seem to work well together. And we never wanted anything more than for the black artists and any artist to be treated fair, to give right. us do the and make sure they retire with some kind of financial stability. That's mm-hmm. all we've ever asked. We're not trying to. Uh, you know, just start fights to start fights. Right, you know, we right. want to make sure that artists are protected. And we know other labels are still out there ripping artists off and telling them who to hire and who to fire. We know it still goes on. But as it stands for us now, we don't really have that problem. And most of the calls we get now is, hey, can you put this fire out? Hey, somebody's not paying us. Somebody owes us money, owes us royalties. And we will get that call. And usually because of our reputation, we've probably sued more labels than any other law firm, small law firm in Atlanta mm-hmm. or Connecticut or throughout the country. And we've yeah. probably gotten more artists freed from contracts. Awesome. More. Yeah. Sometimes we say if we could convince more artists that they were slaves, we could probably free a lot, <laughs> lot more of them because many of them don't want to let go right. of the big label. They really right, think right. be signed to a big label, even though they're not making any money. So it's hard sometimes to convince them. James, you're you're saying so much good stuff. You're killing me, man. You're killing me. There's so many golden nuggets. (laughs) And I'm trying to jot down notes and listen because I want (laughs) to ask you, 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 this is fantastic. So thank Thank you. you. I want to say that I went to Howard as well. So I I wanted to say with that when you said HU, I wanted to kind of throw that in there. So that's why we're like, you know, bonding so strong right now. Um, But (laughs) You're saying such wonderful, wonderful stuff. And I know you and uh, Will know each other. But now I've got, I'm like, I want to rewind just a minute. You said you have your own firm. And if you could just for a moment, just tell me a little bit about going from kind of deciding, you know, you went to law school um, because I hear this, this passion of what you're doing. It it goes beyond just I'm a lawyer. I mean, this is, you know, it goes, it goes bigger than that, which is probably why Phyllis Hyman picked up on, on how you would be really good at that. Um, but what kind of, how did you decide, all right, I'm going to start my own firm or did you do that? Did you work for a major label first in their legal department and then decide you just, I want to hear just a little bit more about that. Um, and would love our guests to kind of understand that more. Sure. Um, always knew I would work for myself. I did two years at a big law firm in Connecticut, uh, Robinson and Cole, and got good training, but um, I had to go on my own because, you know, most law firm environments, they're not going to let you take on guys who can't pay you right up front. 
that I knew mm-hmm. in order to have the autonomy to take to handpick the cases I wanted to work on, I needed to be on my own. I also have two daughters and two sons, and they were all very active in sports. And I wanted to create a schedule where I could be there for them and not have to worry about billable hours. So that was yeah. a part of the factor. And then just just wanting to empower our people. I mean, right now we have roughly 10 to 12 people working in Atlanta. And then I have affiliated relationships in D.C. and Connecticut where I'm also licensed. And it's just a great feeling to sign checks on Friday and know that you're hopefully helping people live their dreams yeah. by working um, yeah. with you on your vision. So it's, it's a big thing. And wow. Will, I probably got 20 or 30 alphas that are clients of mine, confidential. Oh, wow. And, so not, and it's all, you know, it's all good. I don't care, you know, whether or not they're paying or not. They just need help. They need help. But um, it's that to answer your question, that's what did it for me. I just knew I needed to be out here fighting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. I tried to get a big law firm to represent entertainment law, and they didn't really want to do it at the time. I remember I posted at a retreat at the firm, and I posted a picture of like a corporate typical guy on Wall Street and then a picture of Britney Spears and say, which one would you want to represent? And most of them thought the corporate company or the corporate guy. And then I said, (laughs) no, you want to represent Britney Spears because she is litigation, she is contracts, she's TV, she's films, she's Mm -hmm. wills in the state. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, she might be criminal stuff if she gets arrested. And she (laughs) might also be family law if we're going to do her estate planning, trust agreements and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And if she writes a book. So there were like 12 areas of law that came mm-hmm. out of representing an artist. And like I, when I have said Dr. I could be doing anything from a real estate deal to a music deal, to a church deal, to a TV deal, to an estate plan for Dr. Caesar on any given week. And the same thing for some of our mm-hmm. other clients. On any given week, you, you can, as an entertainment lawyer, you're helping in all those areas. And big firms just at the time, in the 90s, didn't quite understand it like they do today. Yep. Mm. Yeah. And, and what you, awesome. you, you hinted at something um, that I think some of my students actually have issues with. Uh, they think it's hard to find an attorney and some of them uh, don't have funds. And so they don't even, I guess, consider it as, a, as an option. And so, some of these, these young kids, they're making all these beats, uh, you know, selling stuff. And then some of them get picked up. And, and if they don't have proper re- representation, uh, they can get fleeced pretty pretty bad. So, uh, what would you say to some of those those young artists? Um, I would say, do your research. Don't get caught up on name by my big celebrity attorney or well known local attorney, but they may not be the one for you. That's the first thing that I say. Always do the research. If, if your question is, well, in terms of who should they hire. Or go about well, counsel. It's, it's sort of about how, how do they find one, and if they don't have funds, how can they still use the services of an attorney? Oh, well, they, they got to have an attorney look over the agreement. Right. So right. there's a group of us out here on Beesla, the Black Lawyers Association website. We provide pro bono work. Of course, you yeah. got your local organizations, but every, every state has usually the Bar Association, which has an arts division of it. Like Atlanta has Greater Atlanta Lawyers for the Arts. And we provide a lot of free services for artists such as your students. So there are a lot. They just got to Google, you know, pro bono legal services for the arts, and they'll see a list of organizations that do that work. 
Yeah, that's 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 what I wanted. Well, that's I wanted a good. I yeah, yeah, that's that's really good. I don't think I was aware of that because I one of the things, um, just to let you know, James, I'm an artist, independent artist, singer, um, but I also have um, my own music production company. And so I do events and I do coaching of artists, um, artist development, and so forth. And a lot of and I, you know, I. I have an attorney who it's funny. It's like, does all the, all those things you were just saying. It's like, yep. He, he kind of, anytime I need a moment, he kind of handles that and, or does handle not kind of. And when I'm with my clients, which are other artists, independent artists who are just developing and you bring up, you know, we really need to, you know, one of the critical areas of your beginning team is having an attorney because you just never know what kind of contract or agreement may be thrown your way, whether it's just a performance that you're doing and it's a performance contract versus something that's licensing. You need to have that on hands. And, and the most common thing I do get back is, well, I don't have the budget for that right now. So, you know, my cousin said that they could <laughs> look over this a little bit for me. And so knowing that so we definitely want to make sure, um, highlight that, maybe even put that in the show notes that that's something, you know, that's available. Cause I don't think that a lot of, um, independent artists realize that that type of pro bono is that accessible. No, it's very accessible, yeah. particularly here in Atlanta. I know a lot of friends that work with lawyers for the arts, you know, the bar association has a service. Some of the law schools have a service and many small firms like my own, we, we juggle, Hey, we got to charge something. For, for some clients, but we do set aside hours weekly and monthly to do the indie artist or the smaller label or the, you know, startup publishing company, because we want to make sure we don't become out of touch and become a firm where people feel like, well, if you ain't, you know, Pub Daddy or Aretha Franklin or somebody on that level, they're not going to take your call. We don't, we don't want anybody to feel that way. So we are always conscious of making sure we examine every call closely and see, okay, is this a really good person? And sometimes you'll hear our staff members say, I just like her. I just like Lisa. I just like William. I just like whoever. Mm -hmm. And that kind of mm -hmm. is enough for me to say, well, yeah, it could work. Do the management contract. Do the recording contract. You know, it's okay. And it comes back full circle, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. uh, last week mm -hmm. we gave, um, it was a funny story. Uh, we gave, I think, $1,000 to a food bank Friday before last and we walked in on Tuesday, a case we had forgot all about. We were working on with another firm settled for about a half million dollars. And we just, I just thought it was the funniest mm -hmm. thing yet, God, that yes. he gave a donation yeah. on one day and got blessed tenfold the next day. You know? <laughs> and it was a case that we had referred mm -hmm. to another firm and they were kind of taking the lead on it. And they called us up and said, hey, yeah, we just settled this case. So you have a check coming. And that's kind of, to me, the <laughs> karma you put out there right. comes right. back mm -hmm. tenfold when you least expect it, right. if you just do the right thing and help people. And that's what I tell the young artist, William, just make sure you're doing the right thing and doing it for the right yeah. reason. Yeah. And, and I have a bunch of them that are listening to the podcast. So uh, I told them about this episode. So when it comes out, they'll be, they'll be hearing that. So uh, yeah. Yeah. Good. appreciate that. Right. right. That's good. Yeah. I would love to hear, you know, now that we're kind of talking a little bit more specifically about independent and developing artists and students who, you know, are trying to, to get here. Um, given your experience, and you've already kind of given, you know, a suggestion of how they could go about getting, you know, pro bono work in general, because it sounds like you've been in this industry for a minute <laughs> and you're understanding, obviously the music industry, at least on the music side, I'm not quite sure about 
theater and the other, but on the music side, things are shifting so quickly um, with from, you know, streaming and like, you know, what you were just talking about, how many views and so forth. I guess I would just like two things. What is, what are your thoughts about the shifts that you see um, happening with the music industry and what we need to kind of be as artists beware or understand better um, given the, the, the changes and particularly we're, you know, with the streaming and, and that type of type of thing. And then the second part is, um, well, no, let's just start there. Cause I think you may answer a little bit of what my second part. So. Um, I, I think it's the most exciting time to be in the industry mm-hmm. as an indie, because you have the power right now. If you look back in the seventies or eighties, um, Labels controlled everything. They, the, we used to call them the big six. The mm-hmm. Warner and Sony, CBS, all these companies, Polygram. They kind of own the landscape. And as Prince told us, you were almost a slave to your recording contract, making two, three, four, five pennies if you're lucky. So you had to go through them to try to reach the mainstream and reach the national and international audience. And some of this may be redundant for you guys, but for your listeners to understand the history those of us who came up in the 70s and 80s, we remember where you were shopping a cassette or shopping a CD and trying <laughs> mm-hmm. to get somebody a deal. And they were the greatest independent artists in D.C. and everybody loved them at every little jazz spot, local open mic night in D.C. and New York. And you, mm-hmm. you just couldn't get in, you know? They weren't going to sign, but mm-hmm. so many Anita Bakers or so many Johnson's Brothers or Commodores or Dinah Rosses or whoever. Mm-hmm. So it was hard to get in. With the evolution of technology and where we are today, you make something good, you put together the right social media campaign, and you're doing the Cardi B thing. Well, I still don't understand, but I understand she's selling a lot of records. <laughs> you get a lot of downloads and right. Um, right, right. And you, you also can go the other way, like Kanye's doing, but some of the statements he's making that's hurting his musical brand, just keeping it in the context mm-hmm. of music. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's the most exciting thing um, to be right now. I just think you got to know the game. You got to know the digital space. They had a story come out yesterday that said title overestimated its downloads for one of uh, Mm -hmm. Kanye's album, the one of Beyonce's Lemonade album. And uh, Mm -hmm. I guess the, the, Tension is that an overseas company investigated whether or not there were 250 million downloads. And mm-hmm. that's significant mm-hmm. because obviously downloads equal dollars. Right. And right. somebody was paid millions of dollars, but this agency is saying that title may or may not have allegedly misrepresented how many downloads there actually was of Beyonce's mm-hmm. album as well as Kanye West's album. Why is that significant? It's significant for you as an indie to understand that's how you make your money with downloads so you can understand how do I market myself to trigger downloads and secure downloads? Mm -hmm. What's the social media platform that I got to enroll in or sponsor or buy an ad for to make sure I'm making the kind of downloads or digital impact I want to make? And that's where the game is really different than the 80s and 90s. That you now can be an Mm -hmm. indie, you can get online, cut your deal with iTunes or CD Baby or whoever. And basically, if you play it smart, for a lot less money than we spent in the 80s and 90s, you can break a single wide open with a good video that you can shoot on your iPhone. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, that's the game changer now. And the key is just doing quality right. music. 
you know, Kendrick Lamar, you know, okay. that's quality music that people just love. Some of it is quality music. Some of it is the gimmick of it, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, either or those two factors can translate into millions of dollars if you know how to work this internet and digital space the right way. Watch also what's going on with Spotify and all the fights. That yeah, I wanted you BMI. to talk about Spotify. That was going to actually be my next kind of... <laughs> I know BMI, yeah, I believe BMI and ASCAP are fighting to get higher wages over there. Right. If I follow the story mm-hmm. correctly. So I love Spotify. I play it in my car. I play it in my office. I'm so conflicted because I love it so much. <laughs> and then the radical side of me is like, yo, they're not paying us. I'm jamming Biggie all day. But right. they ain't paying, yeah. they paying my writers on Biggie. So it, right. it, it really right. talks because I represent some of those guys, too, that did all the Biggie's records. So it really frustrates me that we can't get this thing settled right with Spotify and that the numbers are, mm. I think, very low, according to what I've read. And they have unlimited, you know, use of every catalog you can think of. Yep. So yep. Right. it's it's a real dichotomy. The question becomes, did the Copyright Act really, really think about digital? That's the question. Yeah. Yeah. Right. When, yeah. The, when the crafters of the 76 Copyright Act that's been amended and even the 1909 Act, did these people ever envision music being where it is today with regards to copyrights? Yeah, they, they couldn't. Yeah, they couldn't have. I absolutely so, yeah. don't think so. Yeah, right. And now you got a bunch right. of jurists, 60, 70, 80-year-old guys, men and women, sitting on a panel in these courtrooms trying to understand it and all right. the nuances, <laughs> and they don't really understand it. So you're asking them to regulate a medium in an intellectual property space that they don't really get. And it's like that. Uh, Spotify on their phone. Right, right. It was like mm-hmm. when uh, when Mark Zuckerberg stood in front of uh, the congressional hearings, the the Congress people didn't understand a word he was talking about, and they don't understand the <laughs> no, technology. I know, I know. It's like wow, yeah, <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Well, which kind of, which kind of, yeah. That's I was just gonna say, which kind of, you know, suggest you know beyond just the artists, but the number of people who need to. I mean, and I don't know how much of our audience is trying to be entertainment lawyers but clearly there is a nice space because like you said there's this kind of generational divide and being able to understand how to help a client or to navigate that and really understand the digital game like you said a lot of people understand that they need to understand that but don't know how to understand that right right. (laughs) and it's not that many people out there who can mentor you because it's such a new game you know it's funny you say that because um at my age, my, you, my legal age versus my bio age, <laughs> my legal age, because <laughs> uh, everybody's got their legal age, Will, and then they got their bio age. Of course, of course. <laughs> Two years ago, Will know what I'm talking about. Of course. <laughs> I just thought I'd do last week. He ain't had that much hair. It is hair. Nope. Right, exactly. Yeah, what he's supposed to do. At my age, I'm frustrated that this digital age didn't happen when I was 20 or 25 mm-hmm. because I would just work all <laughs> night if I could yep. yep. and mm-hmm. didn't have four children and, you know, all the stuff that life puts on us as adults. <laughs> if I were a young person, I say this to my law students, we have four working here now. I say, if I were your age, I would be all over this digital stuff, the Digital Millennium Act, mm-hmm. you know, Copyright Act. All of the Spotify cases. I would be writing briefs every day. I would be down at the Supreme Court. I would just be going Thurgood Marshall on it. 
you know? Yeah, I know. Because I just think it's such an exciting time and the law is defining mm-hmm. itself right now. You know, yes. it's all being yes. shaped. So if you're an aggressive young person, whether artist or lawyer, get in here and help shape the law that's going to be around for decades yeah. to come. That's what right. we need because our yeah. guard, you know, we've been out here almost 30 years. We're tired of fighting. We're right. tired of, you know, right. filing court cases and motions and depositions. We're, we're kind of worn down a little bit. It's like the civil rights leaders tell me all the time working with these families. We've been on the front line for three, four, five decades now, James. You know, yeah. we kind of getting a little mm-hmm. tired of being out there. And even mm-hmm. the families and the children of the civil rights leaders, they're getting a little worn out, you know, because yeah. they've been out mm-hmm. there on the front line. They've sacrificed their moms, their dads, and their, their baseball games and football games where their dads couldn't make it because they were out fighting in civil rights. So yeah. mm-hmm. I say the same thing about the music industry. It's an exciting time, but I wish these young people would just jump in here and take over and say, we're going to define this law and make sure independent artists like yourself are getting paid their due. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, mm-hmm. you, you answered that, that other question, my last question in that, that response right there. It was about, you know, what, what should uh, aspiring entertainment uh, law or attorneys do? Um, cause I have a student who's actually thinking about it and I'll, I'll tell you about him as, as well. But, um, but yeah, that's, I mean, everything that you gave, um, we're, we're going to be, uh, running low on, on the time. So for, so we need to <laughs> get a couple other things in. One is, uh, I want to tell people about your book, this business of urban music. Uh, it's in the, this business of music series. And, uh, you were contracted out to write the business of urban music book, and um, I use it in my class and I get rave reviews about the book. Uh, it's, mm. you know, they, my, the, the student I'm telling you about, he, he actually uh, was inspired by your book. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's really important. I think those of you all trying to navigate this music industry, uh, of course, you know, my book is, is there to help you build your, build your business. But if you're trying to get insight into the industry, details, contracts, concepts, you have to get his book. Uh, you have to get uh, James Walker's book. So uh, look it up on Amazon, uh, download it, buy it, whatever you need. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a must have. Could you repeat? What's the name of the book again? Could the, you repeat that? This oh, Business okay. of Urban Music. Okay, This Business of Urban Music. Okay. Thank you for your kind words, William. Uh, years in the making, tapped by the original gentleman, Mr. William Kraslowski, <laughs> Bill Kraslowski, a.k.a. Yeah. Um, he tapped me right yeah. that edition. So it's a big honor. And I'm hoping in the next year or two, I can gather a group of students together and we write a part yeah. two with a digital impact yeah. on it or a digital uh, input yeah. as well as on the book because it's long yeah. overdue. And I get so many kind tweets and messages from all over the world with people saying they read the book and inspired them. And, you know, Tony Braxton's people called me, said they read it. You know, it's just been wow. a very, uh, very kind response. Awesome. To it. Mm. Well, also uh, to tell us um, anything else that you are involved in that you want people to know about. Sure. We're about to announce for the next two weeks, like a summer panel series. For years, BMI and ASCAP in New York, we had always done a summer panel series on the music industry, on digital streaming, how to hire a manager, how to hire a publicist, how to build your brand. So we just teamed up with some people here in Atlanta, and we hope to have that announcement out by the 1st of June, where we will have some panels going on in the greater Atlanta area and possibly New York 
where people can, again, come out for free, no charge, and just kind of do what we're doing this morning and afternoon, just learn about the business of music. We want to, our whole mission as a firm is that we embrace, we educate, and we empower. And by embrace me, we embrace mm-hmm. all fashions of music, all people, gender, ethnicity, races, color, etc. We embrace everybody, we make sure everybody is educated, and then hopefully everyone is empowered. Right, right. If you've uh, worked with our firm as a client for any time, you will be able to say, yeah, they made me a lot of money. I got my first house. I did my will and estate plan. I got control of my copyrights. And that Twinkie Clark story I should share, we went and got 64 of her songs back that she had signed over in a bad publishing deal when she was young. Wow. So we went and got the songs back on copyright laws. And that's about empowering her. Yes. She's a woman, you know, up there in age. And to make sure songs like Look Purple and You Brought the Sunshine and Is My Living in Vain mm-hmm. and Now Family Feud, we wanted to make sure these great songs were in her uh, nest egg and in her portfolio yes. for decades and decades and decades and decades after she uh, lives and dies. So mm-hmm. educate, embrace, and power has kind of been the theme and mission of our firm awesome. for years. Awesome. Awesome. We definitely want to stay tuned for those dates when you announce for that panel because we'll all be trucking down to Atlanta because I'm in Chicago. Chicago. How are you? Okay. And I wish I am. I am. And I wish we had more opportunities like that. But I've been telling artists, you're going to have to go where it's at, where the industry is at and where they're empowering and teaching you. Um, Doesn't mean you have to live there. But when they have these types of things, you're able to offer it for free. You just need to get that flight (laughs) and get there so you can learn. It's worth the flight. Yep. Yeah. Well, yep. yeah, this this has oh, been fantastic. Yeah, yeah, we <laughs> I I was I was looking at the clock making sure that we you know we we ain't get cut. <laughs> but but no, we're we're good. We're good. Um this James, this I I just want to say thank you again and uh you know, it's it's I can't say enough about all you're doing uh for other artists but for, and for me personally, but you know, just in general. Um, it was great having you on and I know everybody's going to get a lot out of this, this podcast. And, uh, Kenya, you want to say anything else? Yeah, no, I, you know, Will, I, <laughs> James, I usually take over. I usually take over the thing because I always have 3000 questions. So I will be in touch with you. This has been fantastic. Um, you gave some really wonderful food for thought. Think about it. And a lot of them, um, empowering messages, like, yeah, I'm supposed to get mine. And, and those who are thinking about, you know, entertainment law, I mean, you almost, I'm like, maybe I need to go back to law school. <laughs> <laughs> we got a desk for you. We'll find you a desk. You go back, we'll find you a desk. <laughs> no, I got two boys, too. Though I'm trying, I'm on the second half. My biological age is different, too, than my, you know, face age. But, yes, but no, this has been fantastic. Well, <laughs> it's I'm been fantastic, really, um, so thank you. I'm really honored you guys had me. And, again, Congrats on your first year anniversary. I'm sure we'll be celebrating your 5, 10, 15, because it sounds like you guys have a great, great program here. And Will, you know I love everything you're doing with the kids at the college and just across the spectrum, the kind of work you do and where your heart is. So thank you, man. If you need me or need something to both of you, just reach out to our firm or shoot me an email and whatever we can do, we will do. It's about um, putting it back and giving back and helping where we can. Yeah, well, I, pr- I really appreciate awesome. it. Man. Yep. Yep, definitely. Well, thank you again, and we will see you all on the next podcast. Uh, this was great. 
as we go into year two. Yes. As we go into year two, stick with us. Yeah, you <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening. And we hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. Please leave us a comment on our page. If you would like to contact us about a specific topic, you can email us at info at creating crimson.com or DRW Smith at making money in the music biz biz.com. If you would like to schedule a consultation session with creating crimson, you can fill out the contact form at the bottom of the website at creatingcrimson.com. If you would like registration services for your music project, you can visit makingmoneyinthemusicbiz.com and go to the registration services page. Please fill out the contact form and we will get back with you promptly. If you are interested in advertising on our podcast, please send us an email at drwsmith at makingmoneyinthemusicbiz.com.